listening to Walk It Out with Trisha Goyer, where we discover what it looks like to follow God and be swept away on the journey of a lifetime. Author of over 70 books, mom of 10, yes, 10, homeschooler and speaker, Trisha Goyer will explore what radical obedience to God's word looks like. It's time to hear from God lovers who've dared to say yes. Listen in to Heart to Heart Chats and learn how others overcame doubts and fears. Discover how God used ordinary people to impact others one step at a time. If you're ready to get radical, get going, and make a difference in this world, you're at the right place. Here's your host, prolific writer, world traveler, people lover, and mega nap taker, Trisha Goyer. Well, friends, welcome back to Walk It Out. And I am loving the book that we're going to be talking about. I, if you've listened to this podcast, you know before, I love listening to really good audiobooks as I'm folding laundry and making dinner for all the gazillion kids that have in the house. So this has been a wonderful book that I'm listening to. I'm so excited about talking to the author today. Um, Janine Urbanic-Reed was born in Chicago and grew up in California. She graduated from the University of California at San Diego. She was vice president of a San Francisco public relations firm before she began raising a family and then writing writing full-time. She lives in Northern California with her family and a motley assortment of pets. And today we're going to be talking about her book, The Opposite of Certainty. So welcome, Janine. Thank you, Trisha. I'm so happy to be here with you. Oh, I'm so glad you're here. And I grew up also in Northern California. I saw that Mount Shasta or Lake Shasta. Yeah, Mount Shasta. Well, okay. actually, weed. So do you know where oh, weed is? I do. I do. We used to take our kids when they were little. We'd go skiing up at Mount Shasta and drive around. Yep. So weed, and I went to Weed High. <laughs> so wow. Often when I speak, um, I say yes. I went to Weed. I was a cheerleader at Weed High. So that's always a fun. <laughs> You know, keep the crowd warm. Get up. some laughs, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And people are like, that's not a real place. I'm like, yes. If you're in California, yeah. you know it's a real place. It's a real place. And named before it had any connotations, I'm sure. Absolutely. Yeah, my grandma yeah. always gets upset because people will laugh. My grandma's 90 and she lives with me Aww. still. And oh, uh, she lived in weed her whole life. And so people laugh. She goes, it was named after Abner Weed. It was his name. <laughs> so she gets really offended yeah. if they refer to I'm anything sure. else. Uh, but it was so fun. So even reading uh, or listening to your book, like you mentioned something about the Manzanita. I'm like, oh, that is such a California thing. Like I live in Arkansas now. No one would even know what I meant if I said Manzanita bushes or trees. <laughs> yeah. So I just felt oh, like, good. oh, it's almost like going home when I was, when I was listening. Well, good. A, a little visit. That's nice. Yes. Um, so I would just love for you to, I mean, just share your story and, you know, what I am coming away with is just our desire for control with, you know, I'm a mom, I have 10 kids, um, five still at home and we just want control. And sometimes we don't have the, that control. Um, and I think this is perfectly fitting for now in our time in history where so many of us have feel like we've lost control, yeah. but just start by telling um, your story. Cause you know, so much, um, of you know, our lives, we think we have control and we get planned, but your life suddenly started going off plan. So tell us about that. Yeah, yeah. Well, um, I grew up with lovely parents. My parents were really young in Chicago, as you said. Um, and we, we did what they call a geographic and tried to move away from our problems to California. Uh, but that 
obviously has mixed results. You know, we, we, what they say is you bring yourself there. Right. Mm -hmm. So, um, my, uh, again, lovely parents, but my dad was afflicted with alcoholism. So I grew up in alcoholism and one of the like textbook, you know, um, characteristics of a child of alcoholic is this need to control. Yeah. You know, try to make order where they're, where it's possible, <laughs> Be, always being, antici- always anticipating the disorder that's coming. So, you know, we didn't know the name of what was going on in our family. And I, you know, I grew up, I was a, an achiever. I, you know, my mom was, is a very organized, very, you know, uh, achievement oriented person. There were a lot of, you know, there was some good structure there and, a lot of love, but again, a lot of chaos too, because that's the nature of the disease. So my dad got sober when I was in my twenties and I had been this kind of girl who was, uh, you know, I tried so hard to do everything right. Mm-hmm. And then I found out there was a name for this thing that I was afflicted with. And there were lists of characteristics where I could find myself in those, and those characteristics. And, and that was, it was a relief in a lot of ways. And, the, and our whole family started healing from that point. I found out that I kind of figured out, um, that I had this out, you know, allergic reaction to alcohol as well, that I had this alcoholism. And so I got sober when I was 24. Um, again, you know, I relieved there was a plan and there was a right. way forward and I dove in and, um, I'd always loved God. And, you know, as I, you know, started giving up spirits that came in the bottle and, you know, I wasn't, wasn't a daily drinker because I was such an achiever. I would kind of save up my, I was a binger, you know? So I, you know, it's been this all long way of saying, getting to the point where the book starts, where it, which is that I'm sober a while I've have, I'm married to a very, you know, good choice. Yeah. <laughs> I'm married to a good guy. Um, and we have three kids and, uh, and I am determined my strategy, even, you know, I have this recovery background. I have a spiritual life. I pray, I ask God for help every day. And I am determined to make sure my kids are never hurt, scared, or scarred. Mm-hmm. And, you know, and, and I think as moms, we come by this control thing. Even if you don't have this background that I do, we come by it honestly, right? We just want our kids to be okay. We just love these people more than anything in the world. And we just want to do everything we can to protect them. So as, as I say, you know, then my young son's hand began to shake and we began this journey of what could be happening. And, um, and the book is about what's one of the, one of the lines that came out, I wrote, came out of my hand at one point and I've been using it over and over, but it's what's real and true when what's real and true can't be happening. That is so good. Now, um, you know, you talk about, you know, this, this tremor that started and at first it was dismissed, um, you know, so many things you thought, okay, it's just a, a normal tremor. It's a low blood sugar, all of these things. Um, when did you discover that there was something more going on? Well, you, you know, the, the curious thing with our story is we, the neuro, we've been seeing a neurologist. It just goes to show, you know, you just how much as a mother, again, so it's this dance of control. Mm-hmm. I need to have good doctors. I find good doctors. I need to trust them. And yet, at what point do I question them? So we've been right. seeing a neurologist two, for two years with Mason's migraine headaches. I'm doing air quotes and normal <laughs> tremor. <laughs> right. Air quotes for you who are not in my living room with me. Um, and, um, 
uh, Mason's teacher suggested we see a chiropractic neurologist. And, you know, we're in Northern California. We have all kinds of options for alternative medicine. And I thought, what font? Yeah, great. If there's something that, you know, an adjustment, a massage, a whatever, I'm down, you know. And the gentleman um, examined Mason and, um, and within a half hour said, this boy needs an MRI. And that was, you know, why wouldn't we, and he was so sweet and I'm in touch with him still. He's a very, he's such a good practitioner and he's just, he gently said to me, why wouldn't we take a picture? And I was like, yeah, why wouldn't we, you know, and the, and I, and I was afraid, of course I was afraid. Um, but ultimately we got that scan back and we, that's when our lives, uh, our lives jump track. You know, we were off the track of normal. And so much of my story is trying to get us back on the track of what I think is normal. Yeah. And, you know, you talk about um, it, it's, it is like entering a new world, even going in for the MRI. I mean, there's, you know, sitting in the waiting room and there's other parents and other kids. And one of our girls that we adopted, um, she has a autoimmune disease and mm-hmm. for a while was have, needing to have uh, monthly transfusions. And it's in the same area of the hospital. There's a wonderful ch- children's hospital here in Little Rock. Um, and it's in this wing of the hospital where there's also the cancer patients. And I remember, you know, before we had adopted her, I'd driven by that hospital hundreds of times, never even really thinking about it. Um, and then once we're sitting in there, there's this whole nother world um, of ups and downs and heartaches and joys within the walls of that hospital. And until you're there and you see, you know, beautiful teenagers and you you just, and some, you know, the, the, the problems are more obvious, um, but it is a whole nother world that we're like, what am I doing here? <laughs> did you ever feel that way? Like, how did we go from, you know, driving by on the highway, normal life to now sitting here? Uh, I often, I often felt like my head was like spinning around in a circle on my shoulders. And it was that exact thing of, um, you know, I remember when my son had his first, uh, first chemo, uh, treatment. Um, and, uh, and, and the, his, his height and weight were no longer being tracked at the pediatrician with a beautiful percentile charts Mm -hmm. because we were at, he was being weighed and measured in the oncology clinic. And I remember how strange that was that we were celebrating his growth milestones on that chart. Cause he's, he's a tall guy and he just couldn't wait to outgrow. And he, he's, he's, um, he, he has survived this tumor. Mm-hmm. Um, he's 23 right now. Um, but we were, you know, he was so happy to outgrow his big brother. <laughs> yeah. And, and there was, so there's this juxtaposition of these are kids. These are kids. Right. Now they're, you know, we're in this serious, um, life changing, life threatening situation. And yet we're balancing these are kids within, within these walls. So yeah, I often felt like, how did we get here and how do we get back for a long time? I thought the goal was my job was to get us back, which, Mm. um, you know, I, sometimes I say that I can, um, I'm like, I can, be like a fish in water where it's like what water, whereas when I'm so focused on getting us back, I can often miss the grace that's in the situation and the miracles that are happening, like boom, 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 all around me. If I'm so focused on that outward goal, you know, that I've made up. 
Yeah, absolutely. And it reminded me when you said that, you know, they are just kids. Um, you know, you talk about in the book when Mason was, you know, get his first, got his first MRI. He's like, Ooh, cool. Can I have a picture of that? <laughs> yeah. To take to my yeah. class. And that's exactly like, yes, they're kids. This is, um, big things that are happening, but they are kids in the middle of this. And that, that totally brought a smile to my face. Cause I'm like, Oh yeah, I can see that happening. Or, you know, we'd be checking out and she'd be like, can I have a sticker for all my siblings? I'm like, you know, we've just been sitting here for eight hours and I'm just thinking, I just want to get home. You know, the trans, yeah. trans, uh, transfusions done. And she's like, Oh, I want stickers to take to all my siblings. I'm like, yeah, they are just kids. Um, yeah. The and there's something yeah, absolutely. And there's something so beautiful about that ability to be so present in that moment and not bring a lot of baggage to it, right? To be able to be like, yeah, stickers, right? Yes. And enjoy that. Yeah. And I, I love, um, you know, just the, you talk about like wanting control and then realizing like, okay, this is not going to work. We're not going to work. And what your friend told me, you know, in and uh, what your friend told you when you were in the hospital over a hundred days, um, more brain surgeries are needed. And you're saying, I can't do this. And she's like, you're doing it. And I, I'm like, Oh, that is such wisdom in such simple words. Um, because sometimes we think I'll never be able to handle it if something like that happens, but then you find yourself in the middle of it and, and you just keep going on. But I love also what you said about the grace, finding grace in those times. So would you share more about that? Yeah, I, that moment when my friend, uh, my friend Joan said, you're doing it. It was a, it was, it, like you said, it's very simple, but it changed my life mm -hmm. in so many ways because I always felt like, because I felt so disturbed or so sad or so scared that somehow that it did, I like a person with more faith would feel fabulous, perhaps. Right. You know? <laughs> they would <laughs> have it all their act together. Yeah, <laughs> they would have. And I always say they'd be five pounds thinner. And you know, they would they would be more cheerful in this situation. And there were times that I could be cheerful in odd situations. But right. um, to, to find out that just as I am in this messy, kind of whirlwind of feelings, that I'm doing it, that was profound. And that also brought me to the next idea that that God is in that messy mm -hmm. moment with me, which was also, an, you know, that was also a breakthrough in my faith that, um, that God wasn't out there, but God, I, it was, it, there was a source, there was this channel that I was able to tap that it just didn't feel like my own, but it was always accessible to me. And it, I didn't have to get better to get to it. Yeah. And I think that's what we think, like, okay, if I'm going to do everything right, which I'm an achiever too, it's like, I'm going to do this, yeah. check off all the boxes yeah. and then God will be there. And, you know, I'm the oldest grandchild child. And so it's always like, okay, good job. Like I'm the, I'm the one leading the way. And then <laughs> things happen. And I think so many times we think God's the same way. Like we have to look at how well we're doing and yeah. then he'll be there for us. And I found just the opposite when we are our weakest. Um, that's really where he's like, okay, you ready for me? <laughs> You ready for me now? Ah. Oh yeah, absolutely. And I'm the oldest child, oldest grandchild too. So we are cut from the same cloth yeah. there. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And yeah. And, and I was, I've been contemplating this lately because I'm talking a lot, you know, since the book's been published, I'm talking to a lot of people and that the turning points in my life have all come in those messy places when I've mm. said help. You know, it's that ultimate surrender and just saying, help, I can't, I, I don't think I can do this, you know? Yeah. And so, you know, here you are, um, 
your son is going through hard things that you never wanted to see him go through, um, but God is meeting the meeting you in the moments. How did that change? As you can, you know, continued. I mean, there's not like all of a sudden everything's fixed. Like you know, there's continued yeah. more days in the hospital. But how did things change inside after that? Well, I realized that one thing I was doing is I was waiting for circumstances to get better before mm. I could. Like I was waiting for, okay, I will, I will live again. You know, not that I wasn't living, I was eating and sleeping because I, you know, as much as I could, which was, as you know, you've been through it, yeah. not much, but you do what you have to do. But I had this idea, well, I'll deal with X, Y, Z. I'll deal with joy in my life when we get past this. Yeah. And there's this moment during that hospitalization where it, you know, Joan gives me, says that you're doing it. And then it just dawns on me that, that there's no then it's like, now's the time for me. I've got to start taking care of myself. I just Mm -hmm. have to. And how that looked in that moment was, you know, um, my husband and I would switch off at the hospital and taking, actually taking a morning and uh, getting on the exercise bike at the hotel, which was, we were in Texas at that point. And luckily Texas children's, which I love, I love children's hospitals. We've been in, Several of them. And uh, yeah. Mason's treated at Stanford Children's here in Northern California. And then we ended up in Texas for um, treatment at, for, during that big hospitalization. And um, I, you know, so it was, I, I started walking every day. And there's a beautiful neighborhood right outside of the medical center there in Texas. And, you know, the houses reminded me of the houses in, in Chicago when I was a kid with big, you know, nice sidewalks and tree lined streets. And I just would go, for, I started to take breaks. Mm-hmm. You know, and there and there was a shift where it was like, and it's it's a thing. It's it's become cliche. You know, we must put our own oxygen masks on first before we help right. others. But I could only, I couldn't. There's no way I could have kept up that pace. You know, I would have, right. from my heart, I would have pushed and pushed and pushed because this is my beloved child. I do anything for him, and yet. I'm a physical, I'm a person in a body that has limitations. Mm -hmm. So I had to start to honor that. And it really is um, being present in the moment. And I think that's how we care for ourselves is realizing like, I'm going to be present in this walk. I'm going to move our body. I move my body. I'm going to breathe. I'm going to, um, you know, just kind of, we have to still our heart and um, care for ourselves because when we, you know, have these extended medical issues that we just see looming ahead or we questions or worries, um, our mind will be completely full with that if we allow it. Mm-hmm. Like all those things will just press in and press in and press in. But when we pause and like, okay, God, you are here. I'm going for a walk. <laughs> I'm going yeah. to eat something healthy. And I love on um, your Instagram, one of the quotes you put, uh, I don't even know, from March is, what if I'm okay right now, right here as is? Um, and I think as you know, we're always trying to fix things and do things, but just right now it can be, you know, we can be accepted by God right where we are. We can be with him in this moment. Um, and that is enough. Yeah. And it turns out that's perhaps everything too. Mm -hmm. I've been told, Mm -hmm. (laughs) you know, I've been told, I'm not sure. I don't know. Um, but yeah, to, to be in this moment, it's really helped me a lot, you know, in this current crisis we're in, which is, it's so challenging for people who want to control everything because Mm -hmm. there's so, so many circumstances bigger than me, right? I have very little say, um, with this virus in the world. So I do what I can. And then, 
and then that idea serves me so well that I don't have to wait for things to get better to find joy in this day. Yeah. And I think when we able to do that and, and enjoy the day, um, I mean, I've even found in this pandemic, you know, at first we're just trying to kind of keep the pace up. We have, uh, you know, kids at home still and trying mm-hmm. to like, okay, you know, and I homeschool already. So it's not like <laughs> very much okay. change, but you know, let's play games. Let's do this stuff. And then after a while, it's like, you know what, let's just watch a movie. Let's just enjoy the moment. Let's just get out the paint. And I found myself switching instead of like, okay, we have to keep doing stuff, even though we can't do the stuff we used to do to like, why? Like, why? to keep just trying to do and let's just enjoy and I think even though it's hard well all hard things when we can really um still ourselves still our hearts turn to God we end up better for it um whether it is you know um health issues family members health crisis a pandemic like whatever is going on um when we can still our heart turn to God be in the moment, not try to fix everything because it's impossible to fix. Um, so much changes, even though nothing changes outwardly. Exactly. Exactly. So well said. So well said. You know, I think that what crises have taught me, um, it, it, it tends, they tend to strip away things that are non-essential. Like Mm -hmm. I have to do this. I have to go here. I must take this trip. And it's once those things are more and more outside stuff is stripped away. And and believe me, I don't like let go of my plans. Like, Oh yes, I'm a spiritual, very evolved person. Great. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm like the claw marks in releasing things often, but once, but underneath, you know, um, when what's non-essential is taken away, it's, it, there's what I'm always surprised by is that is that God spark there and that joy mm. and that and even when the moments are really hard, my son is faced with some really hard health challenges right now. We get from moment to moment, yeah. you know, and when I'm willing to feel those scary feelings and not shut, you know, sometimes I have to shut down because you know, I can only handle so much or I right. go numb and I'm starting to realize that numb is a safety mechanism too. So I, I try to be gentle with myself in those places. But I think that I, what I've learned too, is that I can feel a range of feelings when I let myself feel the fear and the doubt. And I get, you know, I always, I have a lot of friends. I write about that in the book, how important a support network is. But when I allow myself that feel, those feelings, it always surprises me how quickly it's like a summer rain, you know, it just, boom. Oh, there's the yeah. sun, you know, things, the joys mixed in there, which is always still constantly surprising me. Yeah. Oh, I love that so much. Okay. What was it like writing about it? Um, revisiting those places. And I always say as a writer, it's almost like therapy. Um, and you're like, oh, God was there or, oh, yeah, as you're, as you're reliving and thinking of that. So what was it like writing about um, this journey? And like you said, like, there's still health challenges. It's not like, and then at the end, everything's perfect again. Yeah. Uh, well, well, you know, it's funny, because I was thinking, I wanted to write an epilogue. And, I, and that was where I was going to wrap it up in a neat bow. But there's no epilogue to the book. Right. <laughs> Because there are, there are, there, that seems to be the point. So learn to live in this, you know, it, this state of unknowing. Um, And, uh, you know, it was therapeutic to write the book. And I think that some of us are like, we're born writers. And that's how life gets processed. 
and I had to write it um, to see to see what it meant to, to mm-hmm. understand to process a lot of the feelings. And some days were really hard. And I promised myself my next book would be like a romance novel or a mystery. <laughs> like, you know, everything's gonna like, be yeah. <laughs> exactly. I'm like, why? Why? Why was this a good idea? Um, but but it was gold too. It was it was so healing. And each draft, what they don't tell you when before you write your first book is that you're going to revise it about 8000 times right yeah <laughs> you know <laughs> my 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 best friend is a writer and she she actually did mention something about that and i thought she was exaggerating but but what i found was with each edit of the book which e- with each time i revised the manuscript you know I, I got softer, my heart Uh opened more, I found more compassion for the people in my life. Um, Whereas, you know, sometimes I do have some good stories about people saying really nutty things to us. Um, And, and that too went through the compassionizer, you know, after enough times through and and I would pray before I wrote too, which I think helps with, with the healing. Yeah, and that's so it's so true. And editors will make you go deeper. <laughs> so, yeah. Um, one of the books I wrote because after adopting kids from foster care and trauma, um, I wrote a book called Calming Angry Kids, which is how to help calm kids when you know you can't even understand why they're angry and all these things. And the um, editor's like, "Okay, but how did you feel?" Or you know, it's like, "Oh, I have to like, can't I just say this child is having a tantrum? Like, why do I have to bring my feelings into it?" But it, the editors, because you know, they're of course viewing from the eye of a reader, they make us dig deeper, and I think that is hard work. And I'm sure you could say probably say the same thing, but that's a good work too to realize, like, okay, I really need to think about this and process this. And yeah, there was a lot going on there. So it does. It's like, oh, you're really making me dig out my soul with a spoon here. Exactly. Like what it felt like sometimes. Yeah, absolutely. And one of my early drafts came back from an editor and that was right what she wrote in the margin. What did you feel? What did you feel? And every time I read that, it was like, oh, really? And then it was interesting because that that also was um, that was a lesson in itself, because I looked at that in my whole life. I've kind of had this and it probably has something to do with my personality and it probably has a lot to do with growing up in alcoholism, but I always thought other people kind of came with the manual and Mm. I was making up life as I went, you know, trying to fit in and trying to pass as normal. And, um, and so the first pass after that editor said, well, what, what do you feel here? I remember literally thinking, well, what would a mother feel in that situation? I suppose she would feel afraid. And then I realized, you know what? I felt numb. Mm -hmm. I felt like, I felt like you could pinch me and I, you know, I, you couldn't, I couldn't feel anything. And I thought, ah, that's the gold. That's where the story dives deeper because that was where my childhood experiences actually helped me, you know, their coping skills. I had some, I had some coping skills that I would never, um, voiced on anyone else. (laughs) Mm -hmm. I would never say this is, you know, I, I would never say it's worth it, but you know what, you get what you get. And, and it was, I had some useful coping skills and I was able to look at that. And also, as you say, you know, I did, and there's this fine tooth combing of the experience that happens when you write about it over and over and I could relax into it and take some time with the experiences and really see, um, it's that thing about the fish in the water, you know, I, the fish going, what water, you know, and me going, what grace, what, what, you know, the synchronicity of the people who showed up, um, at just the right time, um, 
in that, and that's what I call that God. Yeah. Wow. So good. I love it. Now, um, the forward is by Anne Lamont. And as of, I remember when I first started writing, my first writer's conference was Mount Hermon by Santa Cruz. So right kind of oh, in your yeah. neck of the woods. And yeah. I remember someone recommended at that conference, Bird by Bird. Um, and that book is still just so, such. it was like that book that I read that's like, oh, you can be a writer and not have your act together, but really explore your feelings. I don't, I don't know how to explain it. But, um, and, and what I love, um, you know, I became a Christian when, you know, just turned my heart to God when I was 17 and pregnant in high school, you know, dropped out, like, um, completely messed up. And then I'm, you know, later married a wonderful guy and tried to live the perfect life. And I think so many times we think we need to have our act together and we needed like, okay, this is us. We're the perfect family now. Um, and I think reading Anne's words and then reading your words, is just a reminder, like all of us, it's a process and it's a, it's finding grace in those hard moments and not feeling like we have to have our act together. And I think that's what I love about memoir is that through someone else's experience, we can say, okay, I don't have to be perfect and life is hard and things will be okay. And we can turn to God and we can find grace in the moment. So I just, all that to say, I just appreciate memoir for that, for that reason. As we're, as we're reading someone else's story, it's almost like this dialogue is happening in our own minds of, all right, okay, I can, I can take a deep breath here in my own life. Absolutely. Absolutely. I've all, I've also always been fascinated by people's stories and, and even mm-hmm. listening to your story right now, I'm like, you've done hard, you know, and it gives me hope that I, I still, you know, and I've done hard too. I wrote about it obviously, yeah. but it's, I still, I need to hear you've done hard and you got through it and you got transformed in a good way by the experience. Um, I think that's a human need we have. And, and it's so important. And it's so ironic that I, for so long thought that I had to share my shiny parts with you, uh-huh. you know, like the parts that, and I've realized that we can't really grab onto the shiny parts. <laughs> yeah, It's when I, when I put the, put that defensive kind of, I'm fine. Thank you very much down. And I say, you know what? I'm having a hard day. You know what? I don't know that I can do this. That's when we can connect in that heart place. And, and, and I'm open to, I'm open to other people's stories and I'm open to that hope that's often right in front of me. Yeah. Oh, so good. Okay. Let's talk about, um, just Mason and, um, can, can you share a little bit? Cause I want them to read the book. I want them to go yeah. to the story. Too. But can you share just a little bit about him and what's happening now? So he, Mason is uh, 23. He just turned 23 last week. And um, he uh, had been treated for his tumor uh, 10 years ago and had a really nice run of, um, you know, recovering from a major hemorrhage in his brain and and just kind of getting better and better. And Mm. he went away to college um, to a independent living program. I don't know, about a year ago out in October and um, had some really good months there. And then his next scan showed some tumor growth. Mm. So it was that thing that was going to be my epilogue, the college experience. Yeah. So he's been home and he's been being his, his tumor has been 
being treated back, you know, luckily he's at this wonderful children's hospital and they're not letting him go. Thank goodness. You know, so we have the same caregivers that we've had, um, in the medical team all along. So that's really wonderful. And, you know, the tumor has shaped all of our lives. I say in the book that we've orbited around this tumor and, um, you know, and back to the theme of, you know, I never wanted my kids to be hurt, scared or scarred. Um, I have, you know, I have three kids all together and I say that I would have never again volunteered them to learn empathy and to learn um, how to be a person in these really painful mm-hmm. and challenging circumstances, but they've, they've got it. You know, they, they have, they have been shaped by this in a good way. And Mason is a, just one of the kindest people I know. He just yeah. is, you know, he, and he's all, but you know, but the funny thing is even before the tumor, he was always the friendliest guy in the class. His, but I remember one of his favorite Halloween costumes, he would, he dressed up as Santa and this was his idea to dress up as Santa and bring a bag of candy to school and give it away. <laughs> this is the person he is, you know, still today, he's just got this huge, generous heart and he, um, He's an artist, and that's also another way that he's come back from. He had to, at one point, learn to talk again, and he started expressing himself through these beautiful, tiny little line drawings that he does. So he is a much-loved person in our community, and, you know, it sounds cliche to say a teacher for all of us, but, um, boy, I'm sure glad he has the disposition he has um, as we're walking through this big experience. Yeah. And it's so, you know, you talk about, this is not something, of course, you would ever wish to happen, but the things that your whole family, um, how they came out of it. And, you know, when we started bringing kids in and adopting them and I'm home trying to homeschool and there's, I'm like half the day is just spent trying to manage everyone's emotions, let alone trying mm. to, you know, get schoolwork done. And I remember you know, the, you know, bickering and even the, the sibling group, we adopted a sibling group of four girls, even they hadn't lived together all, you know, in the same place for a very long time. They were in different cottages and one was at a different foster home and um, they were at a children's home that had cottages, I should say. And mm. so they weren't even in the same building and then, and bringing them all together. And I just felt like God speaking to my heart, not an audible voice, but like, this is the point. Like It's not even about getting the work done or, or doing that, but the relationship building, the overcoming conflict, dealing with hard stuff, managing emotions. Like these are things that are going to impact their lives. And I think so many times we see these things as like, this is, you know, just no, no kids should have to deal with this, which they shouldn't, you know, this is so mm-hmm. hard. And, but then when we come out of it or not even all out of it later in the journey, I should say, yeah. we can see that some of those things end up molding them and shaping their character and their hearts in ways that we couldn't even have imagined. And I love how you brought that up. Well, yeah. And it's so true, right? There's this idea that like, we're and I'm in a community that's really hyper focused on these like these goals like okay your SAT scores and mm-hmm. SAT prep and where college and you know and I had and and um, there's a certain tone of voice when you tell people which college your kids going to like ooh or oh that's a really good that's a really that's a really smart economical choice you know it's like oh lordy um but it, it's and it's so you get to that's the other thing you know when this, these are the non-essentials that get stripped mm-hmm. away and to go you know what 
it, it does all that stuff I was stressed out about. Well, also because my my youngest child is now a junior in college, so I'm just beyond having to worry about a lot of that yeah. little, <laughs> uh, that other stuff. Which God bless you because that stuff is really hard. But it's just so, it's so nice to have a little perspective on that um, because it still is hard. And I do get you know we we just want our kids to be safe, and there are these certain paths that we have in the world that seem like these are the this is the smart this is the safe path. And when you're not on mm-hmm. that path, um, it can be, I don't know. I've had to grieve a little bit too, that Mason's peers have been on paths that, um, you know, that I'd hope for him. Right. Right. But to also to realize the profound realization, like you're saying that it's, it's not about whether they do the math worksheet. It's not about whether Mason finishes that class or this class. It's like this, this beautiful life and this expression of God's love in our life. It's, it's, what I think is the point. Yeah. So um, for those that are out there, um, you know, that will pick up a brick, what do you hope that they walk away with um, when they finally, finally finish the end and close the last mm-hmm. page of your book? Um, well, I would say if I had to choose one thing, I'm going to choose one thing and then I'm going to, talk more. Okay. I'll <laughs> let you do that. One, okay. All right. Thank you. Thank you. So I, if I had to choose one thing, it would be that, um, she can do hard. Maybe I can do hard too. Mm. And maybe I'm not so alone. So this is where I go. This is my writer self. I always write too much. <laughs> <laughs> you know? Um, but, um, it, you know, um, Oh God. And I made that joke and now I can't remember what I was going to say. Uh, Oh, but that, you know, that, People who there's this tendency, I think, to think that people who have these like tragedies in their life or they over overcome tragedies that I like some people come at me with like, oh, you've got like some superhuman strength. And, mm-hmm. and I'm not sure that that's terribly helpful in the world, because I think what's more helpful to me is when I hear you say, you know, talk about the challenges you've had and and the um, strength you brought to your family, that you're you're a regular person like me. Right. And so that's what I would want to say. And that's how I wrote the book. Um, just tried to really come straight from the heart that, you know what, I am just a regular person with a lot of doubts. And that's what the, the title is a reference to. Um, it's a quote from a, a guy named Paul Tillich, who's a, a philosopher. And he said, doubt is not the opposite of faith. It is one element of faith. Mm. And, um, and that even though my faith didn't feel like it was enough or shiny mm. enough, or that I felt like I should I should feel differently than I do, that it was always enough. And love, and some people say God is love. I don't know. Mm. I mean, I've experienced it. I've experienced God that way. Um, There's always enough love. And it often comes from people and situations that I don't expect it to come from. And that's where I love people's stories because that's where I'm in. I want to hear those stories. Yeah. And I think it's, also, you know, what I'm coming away with, it's you just have to take care of that day, like that moment. <laughs> you yeah. know, I think so many times it's always, what about this? And what about that? And what's coming next? And what's coming, you know, college or this or that? And it's like, we have the moment. We don't need to go there. And I tell this to my teens all the time. They'll start going off and I don't have a boyfriend. I'm never going to get married. I'm like, you're worrying about things that'll probably never happen. <laughs> so, you know, yeah. and maybe it might be, but if it does happen that way, you'll be able to deal with it in that day. And I think so many times our minds just go in places and we spend a lot of time losing 
um, perspective, losing hope, losing peace, losing joy, because our minds are carrying us into a future that, you know, we're, we're trying to predict. I tell my kids too, you're a great fiction writer. You're coming up with all kinds of stuff that could happen <laughs> in the future. Uh, let's just think about today. Let's just focus on today. And I think that's, you know, I love how you said if she could do hard things, I, you know, I could do hard things. And if she can realize that there's grace in the moment, then I can realize there's grace in the moment too. Yeah. And that we're not alone. I mean, that's what's so wonderful. I'm so enjoying our conversation. I mean, we've just met and it's just that heart connection, which Mm -hmm. is what I've Mm -hmm. always longed for. That's what I've always wanted in my life. Yeah, I love it. Oh, well, Janine, I'm so glad you were here today. And I loved our conversation. I'm enjoying um, listening to it on the audiobook. And um, but just thank you for opening your heart and sharing your story, and then sharing it with us today. Um, So where can people connect with you online? So I have a website, theoppositeofcertainty.com. And then I'm also on social media, um, Janine Urbanic Read, um, uh, Janine You Read on Twitter. Um, and I'm on, on, I'm on those platforms regularly. Thank you so much. And we'll have all that in the show notes too, so people can connect with you. But thank you so much for being here. Thank you, Tricia. It was wonderful to talk with you. Friends, I am so thankful for Janine sharing her story I just know that she faced so much heartbreak. And really, when you're reading the book, you could discover just how, as you can imagine, how hard it was through all those dark, dark seasons. And just when it seemed like there'd be a glimmer of hope, they'd receive more bad news. But for someone to take the time and to share their story and their heart and what God did through them and with them in that process, I think is so helpful, especially during our dark times. I think sometimes we think um, that we are alone or no one understands our struggles. And just reading the stories like Janine's reminds us of so many truths. And a couple of things that she really said um, just stand out to me when she said, you don't have to wait for circumstances to get better before you do. And I love that even in her dark moments that God was there with her and she learned to trust him in ways she never had before. Um, Another thing that she said is we can find grace bigger than our circumstance. We can find good and God in places we never volunteer to go. And this wasn't a path that Janine wanted for herself, for her son, for her family, but she found good and she found God even in those hard places. So today's Walk It Out verse is one that actually in the last 24 hours, as I've, I've been talking to different friends, they've both quoted the same verse about situations in their life that were so hard, but they found God in the process. Um, so the The verse is John 10.10, and it says, The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy, but I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. And in both the cases of my personal friends that were sharing kind of what was going on in their their lives in the last couple of years, the really, really hard things, um, both of them shared about even though things were really hard, they found abundant life as they drew closer to God. And this even no phrase is one that I actually learned from my daughter's counselor. 
And the counselor taught um, one of my teen daughters how to use this phrase as a coping skill to help her find a sense of calm when she's anxious or angry. So this is an example how my counselor taught my daughter to use it. So um, she would say something like to herself, even though I'm upset with my parents right now, they do love me and they are telling me no because they want what's best for me. And I love that when she starts feeling angry or anxious. She, so even though I don't like this right now, I don't like their answer. I know they love me. And it just is that confirmation. It brings that sense of calm, even in anxiety and anxiousness. And then another way that it can be used is even though I feel alone right now, or I feel that God is not answering my prayers, I know that he loves me and is with me. So while my two friends their situations were completely different. Both of their even those could be summed up the same. Even though everything in my life seemed to go wrong in the last few years, I discovered I can turn to God and in my heartache, my relationship with him became stronger than ever. And that is such a big statement. My two friends shared that. Then Janine shared that when I was talking to her. I think that is something that God has for us right now, even though there's a pandemic, even though there is racial unrest and we need so many changes in that area, even though life is just hard, God is there. And when we draw close to him, we can find him, we can um, be loved by him, and we can let his love flow through us to others. So um, let me just pray for us now. Again, I'm just going to read it one more time. John 10.10, the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. Dear Lord, I just pray for all of us right now, there are so many of us. I think everyone is just in uncertainty. I've, and if there's ever a time when the whole world has been anxious and fearful and uncertain of what is going to come and what the future holds, it is now, Lord. And I thank you that even though the thief may come and want to kill and still destroy the enemy of our souls wants us to be discouraged and wants us to pull back and wants us to get anxious or angry and to bring conflict even though all these things are happening you want us to have abundant life and when we turn to you when we read our bible when we pray when we love another person when we listen to worship songs and lift our voices then we discover you even in these hard places and i pray right now just as janine has showed us through her story that even though the uncertainty happens the painful moments in our lives happen, you are there. And I pray that in these dark times, your light may shine bright and we may draw close to you in ways that we have never experienced before. I pray for Janine. I pray for Mason. I pray for his light to shine. I pray for continued healing in his body. I pray for him to be an example to so many people of your goodness, Lord. I thank you for Janine's voice and how she's sharing, how she found you even in hard and dark places. I pray a blessing over her book and her family today. And for everyone listening, Lord, that just needs that reminder, I pray that your goodness will just the knowledge of your goodness would just grow within them today. In your name we pray. 
Amen. Well, friend, thank you so much for tuning in to Walk It Out. I love chatting with all these amazing people, sharing their stories, hearing their stories. And I am so thankful that God helped me um, when I was just a mom at home (laughs) with kids, um, that he helped me discover who he designed me to be and that I can, through books and blogs and through my podcast, that I can share the good news of what he's done in my life and other people's lives um, in the written word and in the spoken word. And what an amazing thing. I mean, right now it's an ordinary day. My dog is sitting at my feet. My kids are running around uh, making breakfast in the other room. And yet I'm able to record these messages of hope that maybe will just touch your heart and someone else's heart today. So I would love it if you shared the Walk It Out podcast with a friend. You can just go to walkitoutpodcast.com. All the information is there about the podcast. Post it on your Facebook or Instagram and just encourage people to listen to these amazing stories that they may find encouragement and hope. Also, if you've ever thought about writing a book, even podcasting, becoming a speaker, all these things, I have a group called Write That Book. You can find more information. I will put um, the link in the show notes here at walkitoutpodcast.com. And it is a private subscription group on Facebook. It's $24.95 a month. It's You don't have to make a yearly commitment or anything. You just try it month to month. You try for one month. Um, if you don't like it, you could cancel, but there's so many people <laughs> that have fallen in love with this group. What it is, it's a private Facebook subscription group where every single week, two to three experts, me and other experts that are writers and publishers, editors, marketing staff, um, you name it, speakers, they're all in there. And two to three times a week, there's a Facebook Live where for an hour, they will teach, they will answer your questions. Um, we also have fun special guests. So just a couple of weeks ago, I had a special Zoom session with my friends, Tamara Alexander, Francine Rivers, um, Robin Lee Hatcher, and we shared what it was like in our community of writers that we have. And we just hope that it'll encourage other people. So that is the type of fun guests that we have just pouring into those who want to write, who want to speak, who want to have a podcast. I also have lessons that I post in there. And and once you join, you'll receive um, email lessons every week. You'll have a lesson from me, a video, and a teaching of something about anything from writing devotionals to um, thinking about starting a novel to how to set up a nonfiction book. So all this is, inc- is included for $24.95 a month. And really, I wanted to make it inexpensive because I know how hard it is. As I was a mom with three little kids at home when I started writing, how hard it is um, to just invest that in ourselves. So I wanted to make it easy. And I know you will love it. So again, the link to the information is in the show notes. And again, it is write that book with Trisha Goyer. Just go to walkitoutpodcast.com and you'll find all the information. Well, thank you friends so much for tuning in today. I pray that you will have a blessed week. Thanks for listening to Walk It Out. Head over to the show notes for this podcast and all past episodes at www.walkitoutpodcast.com. If you love the show, share it with someone you know who can make a radical difference in the world. We love new friends. See you next time.